the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us as we get started at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 31st and final morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thank you so much for joining us literally all year long that you've been a part of this program. If you've tuned in for 10 minutes a morning, if you've tuned in for 40 minutes a morning, if you've turned in, tuned in for two hours, thank you so very much. For making this program a success, I really, really do appreciate that. Whether you dial or not, uh, your presence is what is most important. And, uh, and I look forward to another outstanding year in 2020. Now, having said all of that, um, this is not going to be one of those retrospective look back at the year broadcasts. We're not going to be doing top news stories of 2019 and blah, blah, blah. There's too much news breaking at the present, quite literally. Um, for some people, news of the attack on or the assault or the storming of an American embassy on a foreign country in a foreign country is uh, terrifyingly reminiscent of the attack on our uh, embassy, embassy <clears throat> excuse me, on our uh, embassy at Benghazi. This time it's Baghdad. And here's a report from Fox Hundreds News. Of Iraqi demonstrators have stormed the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. These demonstrators are supporters of the Iranian-backed Iraqi Shia militia group, Qatayb Hezbollah, that was attacked by the United States on Sunday in both Iraq and Syria. That group says that at least 25 of its fighters were killed in this response by the United States to rocket fire on Friday that left one American contractor dead and four U.S. servicemen members injured. What we know right now about the embassy that is being stormed, there are hundreds outside and according to reports, U.S. security guards are currently on the roof firing tear gas, rubber bullets and sound grenades in an effort to push back protesters. 
In case you didn't follow all of that, this is an attack in Iraq, but it is an attack that is being led by the Iranians. Understand that. It's very difficult sometimes to get all of this, as you heard, though, but a rocket attack that killed a contractor and wounded many others back on Friday led to an American airstrike response on Sunday. That response is what has led to this uh, assault on the American embassy in Baghdad. And what I heard in that, um, I'll be 100% honest with you, when I listened to that report, and as I followed this story this morning, which I'm sure many of us have, because again, there's some, you know, some, some, um, comparisons to what happened in Benghazi. I mean, very few of them, to be honest with you, other than the fact that Americans are under assault in an American compound on foreign soil. And quite frankly, in foreign soil in a country that is not necessarily openly, um, uh, friendly to the United States. But, um, when I heard, when I heard that story, and as I've paid attention to this today, the most troubling thing to me isn't the assault by the Iranian-backed Iraqi protesters on the U.S. Uh, embassy. There, my problem with that story we just heard is the fact that they are only using non-lethal responses to it. You heard me right. Why rubber bullets? Why tear gas? Why sound grenades? Why not actual uh, bullets and grenades? Because they are trying to kill Americans. They are trying to break. In fact, they broke down the gate to this embassy. What do we need? Do we need to see more Americans being dragged through the streets of Baghdad the way we once did, uh, of uh, Ambassador Stevens and others at Benghazi? I hope. Uh, you know, I, I, obviously I don't wish for violence. I wish they would all go away, and I guess that is the first step toward making them go away using those non-lethal responses. But I hope they are prepared to defend American lives with whatever force is necessary. Now, we do know that the U.S. ambassador to Iraq that was in that uh, uh, embassy and other staff have been evacuated from the embassy. So that's a good thing as the protests rage outside. The good news is the ambassador and other staff have been evacuated. But according to, and this is according to Iraqi foreign minister officials telling Reuters this morning, uh, so the ambassador and the staff left out of obvious security concerns. One official said a few embassy protection staff, however, does remain. I don't know if that means armed, uh, trained fighters, and that's why they've remained behind and they are able to take care of themselves, but it just depends on how far these protesters slash uh, rioters are willing to go. Thousands of them. This is the reason I'm saying, why rubber bullets? You know, and I don't want to, certainly the optics would not be good to see a bunch of Americans firing from behind an embassy wall at a bunch of people and killing them. But truly, if this is an intent to kill Americans, then you fight back accordingly. That's all I'm trying to say. Thousands of protesters and militia fighters, that means dangerous people who are armed, have gathered outside the main gate of the embassy compound. They busted through one gate and uh, are out there protesting U.S. airstrikes on bases belonging to an Iranian-backed militia in Iraq. So that's kind of where we are. The President of the United States correctly tweets to hold Iran, not Iraq, responsible for this. 
saying that the Iranian regime will be held fully responsible. He tweeted this morning at about 7 a.m., so a couple of hours ago, President Trump tweeted, Iran killed an American contractor, wounding many. We strongly responded. That's the airstrikes. And we always will. Now Iran is orchestrating an attack on the U.S. Embassy in Iraq. They will be held fully responsible. In addition, we expect Iraq to use its forces to protect the embassy, and so notified. End quote. So that's where the president is on this right now, and good for him. Good for him. He's hundred percent right. Make sure that people know that this this isn't Iraqis that are that are attacking the American embassy, particularly after what happened and how much American blood was spilled in Iraq to try to uh, protect and uh, help those people against the tyrant uh, Saddam Hussein who had gas and used weapons of mass destruction against his own people and was a threat to use it against others. I don't want to refight that that you know that that argument but uh but in truth uh the Iraqi people are and most of them are should be and most of them are grateful to the United States but this is just to point out this is not Iraq attacking the embassy these are Iranians. These are Iranian backed protesters. Now some of them may indeed be Iraqi obviously, but they are working on behalf of the Iranian uh, protesters and militias. The breach at the compound followed an earlier attempt by hundreds of Iraqis. This is thousands now, hundreds of Iraqis. Again, they back the Iranian militias, though. The unrest came, unrest came as Iraqis held funerals for 25 fighters from Iran-backed Shiite militia, Kataib Hezbollah, which, uh, who were killed in U.S. airstrikes. Uh, over the weekend, the U.S. military said the strikes were in retaliation, as I've already pointed out, for last week's killing of an American contractor in a rocket attack on an Iraqi military base. Uh, that was blamed on the militia. Reporters for the AP described a chaotic scene on the ground this morning and said the a crowd shouted, Down, down, USA. An AP reporter at the scene saw flames rising from inside the compound and at least three U.S. soldiers on the roof of the embassy. No reports of casualties at this time, but the unprecedented breach is one of the worst attacks on the embassy in recent memory. Iraq has long struggled to balance its ties with the U.S. and Iran, both uh, allies of the Iraqi government, but the government's angry reaction to the U.S. airstrikes and its apparent decision not to prevent the protesters from reaching the embassy, and that's where the president came in with that tweet and said, by the way, while we're not blaming you for this Iraq, because we know these are Iran-backed protesters and militia groups, you government of Iraq should be doing whatever you have to do to protect the American embassy. He's right. He's 100% right. And the apparent Iraqi government's uh, decision to not pre prevent the protesters from reaching the embassy uh, does signal a sharp deterioration, potentially, of U.S.-Iraqi relations. Iraqi security forces made no effort to stop the protesters as they marched to the heavily fortified green zone. A man on a loudspeaker later urged the mob not to enter the compound, saying the message was delivered. Two Iraqi foreign ministers initially told Reuters, that uh, the U.S. ambassador and staff were evacuated, but the U.S. officials pushed back, telling Fox News the embassy had not been evacuated at that time. Further, an official said to Ambassador Matthew Tuller, uh, was not evacuated but has been out of the country on a previously planned vacation. So reports are still coming in, some disputed, some uh, contradictory. But the one thing that we do know is who's responsible for this. Marco Rubio, by the way, Senator Marco Rubio, also tweeted this morning, Similarly, 
to what the president tweeted, saying that Iran uh, is responsible for orchestrating this attack on the U.S. embassy in Iraq. In fact, his uh, quote, uh, excuse me, his tweet reads, "Quote uh, hashtag Iraq or excuse me hashtag Iran." is directly responsible for orchestrating the storming of the U.S. Embassy in hashtag Iraq and must be held accountable for it and the safety of every American serving there. Agree. Senator Rubio, agree wholeheartedly. So, uh, again, there's a lot of breaking news this morning. We have a lot of people to talk to today. Steve Loomis is going to be joining us at 935 to talk about local policing in Cleveland, which has become a very, very dangerous place for people to live. That's right. Our city... Thanks to actions taken by previous presidential administrations and current mayoral and city council leadership, Cleveland has become a very, very violent and dangerous place. And the feds are stepping in to do something about it. So we're going to talk to Loomis about that at 935. Then at 10.05, Peter Kersenow is back for the final time in the year 2019. He will join us to discuss a host of things, including the ongoing anti-Semitic attacks in New York and around the country and the inexplicable decision by leftists in government and in media to blame this on the most pro-Israel and pro-Jewish American president in decades, President Donald Trump. So Kersenow will hit us at 10.05 with that. Uh, in between now and then, if you want to dial, do it. 216-901-0945. We'll get you on the radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for joining us on the last day, the last morning of the calendar year 2019. Tomorrow we will be in a new decade, and uh, that's kind of a kind of an amazing thing when you think about it. Uh, let me stay on this. I'm going to get a call from Beth here in Ashtabula, and then I've got more news on what's going on in Iraq right now with the American embassy under siege uh, by Iranian-backed militia and protesters. Uh, Beth, go right ahead. You're on the air. Hi, Bob. Happy New Year. Thank um, you to you as well. Not a happy story this morning, though, that no, we're no, hearing. Uh, um, our son-in-law just returned in September from having spent most of the 2019 in, in Iraq mm-hmm. as part of the Operation Inherent Resolve, which is a coalition of about 70 countries that are training Iraqis over there. So... I found it pretty disturbing that the Iraqi forces didn't arrive until hours after this attack began, and they didn't even engage. You know, it would be one thing. I don't think it would have been a good idea, even though, like, I really would like to have seen our guys just mow down these people. But, you know, to me, the fact that they didn't even engage, you know, is kind of giving them the okay to do this. I don't know if they're concerned, you know, the Iraqi government, if they're weak enough that, you know, they don't want a firestorm on their hands. I don't know. But what really irks me is that, you know, we've had three years of our (laughs) news media wasting time on this ridiculous stuff with Trump, now the impeachment stuff. You know, they're only too happy to play along with this while they're ignoring real news that affects U.S. citizens, affects our troops, affects contractors. You know, it's sickening because there's stuff going on that we need to know about, and we're not hearing about it because all they do is talk about this impeachment. But, uh, you know, 
this is never black and white over there in Iraq or any of these countries. You know, it's it's not like, okay, if we do this, it'll fix it. No, it's not going to fix it. And my son-in-law was very impressed with the Kurds he worked with and some of the other people, but I don't know. I don't know if we're wasting our time trying to teach them what to do, you know, when you see something well, like this happen. So. You know, it, it is it is an uphill fight. I don't know that I would call it wasting time. Um, only, sadly, uh, hindsight will tell us whether, whether we wasted our time. I feel like it's a noble goal, but we are pushing a, you know, pushing a rock up a hill here because, you know, for decades and decades and decades, uh, the mindset of Iraqis has been very, very different. Of course, they were under very different rule, too, until the United States came in in 2000. Um, but here's the thing, Beth. When you say that, why aren't you know why aren't we hearing more about this? Because all their focus is on is is this ridiculous impeachment story. You're onto something that I'm going to build on right now. And I thank you for your phone call. And I'm so glad you said your son is home uh, from Iraq and is uh, and is safe. And I want that for all Americans, of course. Uh, but here's the thing. Even when they do touch on this, it's how they touch on it that that is newsworthy. Okay. Um. As these pro-Iran militants vow to kill literally every employee at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, the New York Times, the Associated Press, and social media Twitter calls these would-be murderers mourners. This is what we mean when we talk about the media being the enemy of the people. We talk about them being slanted. We talk about them not presenting the news as it is, but how they wish to frame it. All right? Um, Militiamen in military fatigues told Rudaw News, I, well, we will not spare a single employee inside the U.S. Embassy if they breach the building. Warning the U.S. Administration and President Donald Trump over recent airstrikes. That is, an, that is a threat to kill every single employee inside that embassy, Right? Now, here come the New York Times with this tweet headline, quote, Hundreds of Iraqi mourners tried to storm the United States Embassy in Baghdad, shouting down, down, USA, in response to deadly American airstrikes this week that killed 25 fighters. Now, just process that for a moment. The U.S. airstrikes were deadly. Deadly U.S. airstrikes, completely absent context, that those airstrikes were in response to Iranian militia-fired rockets that killed a a U.S. consultant, or or a contractor, rather, and wounded many others. They literally attacked Americans. America responded, and the New York Times presentation of this news story is, deadly American airstrikes killed 25 fighters and hundreds of Iraqi mourners tried to storm the U.S. Embassy. They're the good guys. They're the victims. They're mourning their losses. The Americans killed people. We're the bad guys. We being, of course, the U.S. military under the leadership of Commander-in-Chief, Orange Man Bad Donald Trump. This is the presentation of news today that we talk about. Iraqi mourners? They did the same thing with the uh, with the Associated Press. They're, they're, rather, the Associated Press did the same thing that the uh, that the New York Times did. They, and, and countless numbers of stories say the U.S. At- or the attackers, the Iranian-backed Iraqi attackers, are mourners, and deadly U.S. airstrikes are the cause. 
It is simply unbelievable. This is a letter to Trump. Pro-Iran militants attack U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Ambassador and staff evacuated. This is a letter to Trump they want you to know. That, of course, means that this is Trump's fault. That's the reason there are Americans being attacked, and if there are deaths, if there are casualties in that embassy, it will be on Donald Trump, not on the Iranian-backed militia and Iraqi uh, uh, protesters who were responsible for the original rocket attack back on Friday that killed an American contractor. So it's not just that they don't cover the news, it's how they cover the news. It's blatantly biased against everything and anything that Donald Trump supports and believes in, including defending American lives when attacked by foreigners, in whether in foreign territory or not. We, we launched airstrikes in response to a rocket attack, and the American press, the liberal American press, turns that around and blames it on and condemns Donald Trump for it. These poor mourners out there just mourning their dead are responding to the deadly American airstrikes. It is impossible to understand. All right, uh, we're going to talk more about that later. We're going to talk about the media, and we're going to talk about the media's inherent bias. And you know what? I wasn't going to do this on the air today, but we're going to talk about the media's agenda. I was in a very interesting discussion with several people on a Facebook post Yesterday, written by a former colleague of mine who's a long-time 40-year radio professional who feels like it's crazy to say that there's a media agenda. Uh, I disagreed vociferously, and I wasn't going to talk about it on the air, but now I see this media coverage of the Baghdad uh, embassy story, and I have to respond to it. We'll do that in a bit. Steve Loomis joins us next, though, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Thirty-six. Now we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. So just briefly, because I'm going to get Steve Loomis on the air here quickly, um, but just very briefly here, um, a former radio colleague of mine who's a very good guy, very good guy, I consider him a friend. Uh, he, he has no uh, um, ill intent at all, uh, I don't believe. Um, he's been a straight arrow news reporter. He really is a journalist in the in the. You know, in the truest sense of the word, he has done news anchoring in Cleveland for a long time and reporting in Cleveland for a long time. And so he sees things through, I believe, his own lenses um, of his own glasses, literally. Um, and that that is because he, as a member of the media, is straight arrow and not biased and not agenda driven, that others are not either. And. The, the Facebook posts that launched uh, almost 100 comments last night, many of them mine, was this. I am sick and tired of people who say the media has an agenda. 
please let me know where and when the meetings are held to establish this agenda. And a number of people agreed with him. You're so right, blah, blah, blah. The only agenda the media has is making money, and I completely and 100% disagree with that. Um, and I pointed it out. Um, you know, they, they were saying that liberal, you know, I'm going to read just a couple of the quick comments here. Um, one comment in response to I'm keeping names out of this because I don't want to offend anybody because, like I said, the individual who started this is a good man and a great news uh, reporter and uh, and a friend. So this is not intended to offend anybody, but it's just pointing out the discussion, especially as we see the coverage of what's going on in uh, Baghdad right now being twisted the way that it is. So one of the comments was, we frequently hear mass media is owned by mostly liberals. Ever listen to most talk radio shows, Fox News Channel? Most are slanted so far right it's absurd, but that's what sells, folks. Reality, after 40-plus years in broadcasting, trust me, their only concern is green, meaning making the most money. And I just had to respond to that. Uh, in fact, the original poster responded, Liberal Talk Radio has been a failure in nearly every market, including Air America. Remember Air America? And I, and I had to point this out. Why did Air America and Liberal Talk Radio fail? And why does conservative talk radio, like my show, succeed all across this country? And the answer is because there was no need for Air America. Liberal news is available daily. On NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, and MSNBC. And in print, in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the New York Times, Washington Post, the LA Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, and on down the line to the the rest of the nation's largest newspapers, they are overwhelmingly liberally agenda-driven. So Air America comes along and fails. Why? Because it was redundant. If people wanted to hear this, this this stuff that Air America was spewing, all they had to do was open their newspaper or turn on the television because that's what the mainstream news was. Air America was just providing something that already existed. That's why it failed. Now, why did Fox News succeed? Why do we have a news story this morning highlighting the fact that Fox News just set brand new records in ratings? In the year 2019, now that the year is over and all the numbers are tabulated, Fox News just set brand new records. I just saw the story this morning. Their ratings are higher than they have ever been. As such, their profitability, yes, is also higher than it's ever been. Why did that happen? Why is conservative news radio, the likes of Hugh Hewitt and Dennis Prager and Larry Elder and Sebastian Gorka and, of course, other networks as well. I'm not afraid to say names like Rush Limbaugh, Mark Levin, uh, Glenn Beck, uh, some of the other notes. You know, there's a lot of very successful national shows, all with the same political mindset. Why do they succeed? And the answer is, of course, because these are the answers to the liberal legacy media uh, um, platforms that I just described. Fox News succeeds and has triple the viewership of CNN and MSNBC because it's the only cable network telling the other side of the story. And there's a massive appetite for that because people are denied the other side of the story or the non-slanted side of the story by the traditional aforementioned news outlets. Fox News and conservative talk radio are the counterweights. Why have they succeeded where liberal talk shows have failed? Because they are the counterweight. They, they provide something that, that was not being provided before by the mainstream news. 
Read the editorial pages of every large newspaper. Is it just a coincidence that they all have the same mindset? They all write the same stuff, the same anti-Trump, just like it was anti-Bush before, just like it was anti-Bush and Reagan and was pro, you know, uh, 90% of the news stories of Barack Obama were positive, 90% of the news stories provided uh, on uh, Donald Trump are negative. It's just coincidence that this happens in every newspaper? It's not coincidence. It's by design. The studies have been done. Literally 90-plus percent of news stories done on Donald Trump and Bush before him are negative. And also, 90-plus percent of American news staffers who choose to answer the survey, chose to answer the survey, multiple surveys by Pew and other very reputable polling services, admitted that they donate money to Democrat candidates and not to Republicans. The evidence of this bias and agenda is simply overwhelming, and for people to deny it is just politically, no, not politically, wrong word. It's journalistically dishonest. It absolutely is is every bit as biased and agenda-driven as uh, the numbers would indicate. I, I posted a couple of links, and I'll get to Steve Loomis. I understand he's on the line here in a second. I posted a couple, couple of links, like I said. Uh, Ballotpedia did fact-checking on this. 97% of journalists' donations go to Democrats. They did all kinds of cross-checks and investigations on this, not relying on one source but going to multiple sources on this. And indeed, that is exactly what happens. The conclusion, based on the claim... Uh, uh, on those uh, claims of uh, uh, Representative Dave Bradder said the media's bias are giving more attention to the Trump administration's alleged Russian connections than to the issue of Hillary Clinton's connection to foreign money through the Clinton Foundation, etc. Based on those claims and the results of a Center for Public Integrity analysis, which found that more than 96% of donations from journalists to either Clinton or Trump between January 2015 and August 2016 were indeed to Clinton. Ballotpedia reviewed three other analyses of contributions from, donate, uh, from donors identified as journalists and found that a majority of the donors or a majority of the don- donations, depending on the study, benefit Democrats or liberal causes. This is all over the place. Meanwhile, Investors Business Daily also doing the legwork, doing a deep dive into stories and how they are presented, uh, proving that despite journalist denials that they are not agenda-driven and biased, journalism is now exclusively left-wing property. The most left-wing of all professions. That's just the the truth of the matter. Researchers found that uh, over 90... Let me see. Let me uh, uh, crunch this here real quick for you. Uh, Even... Financial reporters, even financial reporters, not just straight uh, political news reporters, financial reporters, also overwhelmingly liberal. Over uh, Of the 462 people surveyed, 17% of them called themselves very liberal. 40% uh, called themselves somewhat liberal. So that's a combined 57, 58.47%. Uh, 37% proclaimed to be moderate. That leaves, I'm not going to do the math here real fast here, but less than 5% who actually declare themselves to be conservative. Holy cow, that's 13 liberals for every one conservative in the, uh, in the uh, uh, journalist, uh, journalist world. I mean, we're really talking about numbers that just make this not even... Uh, somebody commented on this last night in the Facebook page that I was having this discussion on, you know, it looks like great show prep, and I said, nah, 
Really, no, not at all, to be truthful, because this isn't even a, a topic worthy of discussion anymore. That's why I said I'm not going to talk about it, because the, the evidence is so overwhelming and so one-sided uh, as to the liberal bias of the enemy of the people known as the media now. Uh, it's not even a question of debate. It's bad talk show fodder. It really is. It's not good conversation. But then I see this morning what the AP and what um, the New York Times is doing to the story in Baghdad, presenting the attackers of American citizens as being mourners and presenting the Americans as those who were responsible for the deadly airstrikes. I, I, I just I can't let it go. I can't let it go. The media is going to drive the... Uh, deeper wedge through this country in 2020 than even it has through 2019. All right, uh, it's 946. I'm going to get out here, take a quick time out, come back, talk to Steve Loomis for a few minutes on the other side on AM 1420, The Answer. as we continue on this final morning of the month of December and the year 2019. Appreciate you being with us. Happy New Year to you early. The Justice Department under William Barr, A.G. Barr, has announced an initiative known as Operation Relentless Pursuit. And this uh, announcement was made at a news conference in Detroit. And it essentially says that the feds are going to pump around $71 million in funding to seven cities that have uh, become identified as extraordinarily violent uh, and increasingly violent crime rates, well above the national uh, average. They are Detroit, Albuquerque, Baltimore, Kansas City, Memphis, Milwaukee, and Cleveland. And Cleveland, that is not in order, by the way. I saved Cleveland just for dramatic effect. They were actually fourth on the list. Fighting violent crime is one of the priorities of this administration, A.G. Barr said. In a number of cities, it's a stubborn problem. The federal government can't attack this problem alone. It depends on collaboration with state and local partners. But how will the local partners in Cleveland cooperate with the federal authorities and their $71 million? Joining us now to analyze and uh, break that down is the former president of the CPPA, that's Korean Police Patrolman Association, Steve Loomis. Steve, good morning. Morning, Bob. All right, so uh, the feds want to give a whole bunch of money uh, to the city of Cleveland and other uh, uh, cities with extraordinarily high violent crime rates that are rising. Uh, two questions for you. The first one is, how bad is the crime rate, the violent crime rate in Cleveland? What do you attribute this? So I guess three questions. How bad is it? To what do you attribute it, Steve? And then the third question, which we'll come back to, I guess, is what will the city be willing to do in order to take that money from the feds and actually help law enforcement uh, crack down on violent crime? Yeah, I well, the last question I, I can't answer because I really have no, there's no rhyme or reason for what they do or or how they do it or why they do it um the first you can speak but you can speak to what they are doing and how poorly they're doing it because you sat on the the uh, cleveland uh, police commission right yeah that's correct um, when it was first formed for about three years and uh, yeah it was something man it was an eye-opening experience because they were we're offering you know solutions from a street level perspective of police officer and we're getting summarily dismissed um, for example, uh, putting an office space in a school, in, in every one of the Cleveland public schools, uh, put a sticker on it, Cleveland Police, and, and mandate with the stroke of a pen that we go to the school or to the library or to the rec center to do our routine reports instead of going back to the district. 
Um, that provides an opportunity for some positive uh, uh, interaction with, with the kids. The kids are who we're missing. Right. And we have been since the layoffs, the huge layoffs in 2004 uh, with Jane Campbell, you know, um, community policing units, um, their units, uh, they were all decimated in that. So, that, and now we're paying the piper for that. Now we're seeing these kids that we couldn't reach back in 2004 um, maturing or, or, you know, getting into the trouble that they're getting into. Right. Right. So, uh, and, and that's it, the, that's the nature of the problem. How bad is it, Steve? Let's go back to the first question of uh, the violent crime rates in the city of Cleveland, the homicide rates. I mean, uh, uh, you know, the numbers have been going up in recent years, and I don't know. Did we set a new record this year in terms of homicides? Um, no, um, no, not at this point. Um, we we haven't. But um, it, but the, it's it's too many. You know, one is too many. But the, you know, one hundred and twenty-seven. I think we're up to. Um, that's just, it's way too many. And, and it's not just, uh, the victims, you know, you see the victims of these homicides and they're little kids and they're grandmothers and they're, you know, it's not just the dope boy killing the dope boy. Like, you know, stereotypical people would like to, you know, tell you. Um, and, and by the way, uh, even if it's bad guy versus bad guy, those folks, those, those people have families. They have a mother who's heartbroken over the loss, you know, so there needs to be more uh, done in the way of uh, prevention. You know, right now we're very reactive. Not only that, Steve, not only that, by the way, you you mentioned, uh, you know, even if it is dope boy on dope boy or bad guy on bad guy, there is there are, all the time we see innocent victims caught in the crossfire. We see children, yeah. we see elderly women yep. and others getting caught, you know, bullets that are intended for one bad guy to another bad guy end up hitting an innocent person far too yeah. often. And that's something that we have to stop. You know, I, I think a combination, I know President Trump um, has a, a three-pronged approach to this, and I know this because I've spoken directly to him about this. And it's not just, you know, um, put huge numbers of cops on the street. We, we definitely need more than we have. Um, but it, that's not his approach. His approach is um, what can we do in the neighborhoods, Mm-hmm. Um, the outreach programs in the neighborhoods, which are very important. Um, how can we establish and, and get community-involved policing a little bit more active? And, and how you do that is you put more, you do put more cops on the street, and you leave them in their zones, and they get to know, and they, the cops actually take ownership of their zone. Um, and, and it's a wonderful thing. I've lived it. You know, we used to be able to do that. And it's good to know the good people, um, the bad people, you know, the, the kids by name. Sure. You know, um, up off of Lee Tarkington. I was off with Steve to about 200 kids that were walking back and forth to school every day. We don't have the luxury of being able to do that anymore. And um, that's where we're that's where we're missing. Uh, and and you know these folks. So Steve, let's tie let's tie that because we only have about four minutes left. Let's tie that to the news story that we just talked about. Attorney General Barr saying uh, that uh, they're going to split seventy one million dollars apparently among uh, some of the most violent cities of w- one of which was Cleveland to get more officers and purchasing new equipment. They say uh, yes. will that will that solve the problem? And uh, do you think that Cleveland is is willing to embrace that? Well, it it will help. Um, but here's the problem with, with the federal money. Um, it runs out. 
eventually it runs out. And most of the time, like when Bill Clinton was president, um, the city of Cleveland, you know, took every federal dime they could get. But then they have to match those that, that number or the number of years that those programs are in place, and the city never did. And as a result, we end up with, you know, 252 uh, downsizing of 252 cops and another 200 after uh, through attrition in the year, two years after. You know, so um, you got to be careful with the with the federal money. And the uh, it's great to have equipment we could always use, training we could always use more of. Um, but boots on the street are, are what we're missing here. And, um, you know, if you put two police cars in every zone in this city, I guarantee you in three months' time, you would have community-engaged policing at its high, at the highest level that we've ever seen here. Steve, I find it um, interesting they, also that this particular federal uh, program is called Operation Relentless Pursuit, which brings me to this question. Uh, it's just kind of ironic, I suppose. Um, in Cleveland, there's not relentless pursuit. In fact, there's not any pursuit. You're not allowed to pursue. This is one of the biggest problems here. Does Cleveland have the stomach to actually let cops be cops? again and get bad guys to stop them from terrorizing and and victimizing innocent clevelanders well i i can tell you that the cops want to do that um we don't take this job to get rich we don't take this job for uh glory or headlines or anything else we we really it's a calling bob and you've heard me say that a, a thousand times on your show yeah and um at the end of the day the police officers will do the right thing out in the communities the best that they can. The chief does the best that he can with the resources that the politicians give him. Um, unfortunately, um, law enforcement and, and uh, protecting law-abiding citizens is not the highest priority in the city of Cleveland when it should be because nothing else succeeds without that. You know, when you see businesses move, you see people move out of the city. Um, very, very difficult to get people to move back into this city, even with the the tremendous investment in Tremont and now up on, you know, Fleet Avenue, it's still hard to get people to move in and um, take root here. And, um, you know, that's because you ask questions when you move someplace. How safe is it? Yep. And how good are the schools? Yeah. Or how good are the schools and how safe is it? And right now we're not we're not doing very well on either one of those fronts. You know, so something something has to give and Maybe a little outside the box thinking here, but um, you know, creating community uh, engagement zones and things like that. Right. Um, the people that come to those are generally people that are pissed off about something. You know, right. a, a loved one getting having a bad experience with the police, and by, by bad experience, I mean getting arrested for something. Um, you and know, meanwhile, the- meanwhile, cops are continuing to be attacked and assaulted and shot during routine uh, traffic yeah. stops and uh, and sucker punched on streets and so on and so forth because the anti-cop atmosphere that was fostered for eight years in this country through a variety of events uh, has not abated, uh, no matter what, uh, even though the president and uh, the new Department of Justice have done everything that they can, and that's yeah. why it's even and tougher. That's a, and, Steve, and that's I've a political, that's a political issue, and, you know, Steve Dettelbach, when he was the U.S. attorney here... Um, was did a horrifying job in keeping the the, the people of Cleveland safe um, with this consent decree um, holder yeah. and uh, Obama's holdover. Now we have a U.S. attorney in place that uh, um, looks at it and it's his highest priority is to keep people safe. So, so there is a different 
um, a, a different view now coming from the Department in, of Justice. Right, in certain offices, and including you know, yes. the prosecutors, you're right, but uh, still there is the leadership in, in City Hall. Uh, Steve Loomis, former president of the CPPA, uh, responding to a uh, report of federal funds coming in to try to help the policing issue and the violent crime in Cleveland. Steve, thanks very much. Happy New Year. Thanks for your time today. We'll talk to you in 2020. Happy New Year. Thanks, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, that's Steve Loomis at 10 o'clock. Uh, we're going to take a time out for news. Personnel for the final time in the year 2019 right here coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.